Well, I thank God so much for Jib and Kendall's story. And, you know, the truth is that every single one of us is looking for a second chance. We're living a second chance every single day. A second chance from God, a second chance in His grace. And when you walked in today uh, on your chair, you should have received a little bracelet that looks like this. If you didn't get one, just raise your hand. We've got some extras uh, in the back there, and they can get them to you. Um, But what I'd encourage you to do is kind of like what I'm doing right now is just put it on your wrist. And if you're too much of a manly man to do it, um, just wear it now, I guess, and then you can take it off later. Um, But what I really want to encourage you is over the next five weeks, this is a free gift from us to you, And what I'd like you to do is, as you wear it, when you look down uh, and you go through a day and maybe there's something that you mess up with or maybe there's something great, um, regardless of what you experience in life, that you would really understand that there is a God of second chances who's reaching out to you, that he's searching for you, that uh, he never gives up, that he forgives you and he's head over heels in love with you. And so I've been really excited about this series Uh, that we're talking about, uh, God of a second chance. And I think some of you um, will leave from this experience and you will have a greater understanding of God and you will have a greater understanding of living a more positive life because you can live in God's grace. Um, Because He truly is a God of second chances. And He offers a second chance Uh, to all of us. And I want to unpack some of that today. Now, to help us do that, I have a little prop here uh, that is called a price gun. And um, how many of you, just by a uh, sign of hands, how many of you remember these price guns like this, okay? So if you just held your hand up, it means one thing. You're old, okay? (laughs) So uh, that's what that means. But today they have these uh, laser scanners that uh, scan everything. The technology and pricing has gone up so much. But there was a time in which the way you would price an item is you would go ahead and you'd set the price here. And uh, once you set the price, uh, then you would go to the particular item and you would just give it a little tag. And it would look like that. And you would have this little tag uh, on each item. And it would show how much uh, something was worth. And back in the day, when I worked at a toy store in Anderson, Indiana, in Mounds Mall, it was all about the price gun. I mean, I price things that shouldn't have even been priced. You know, but I was just like, hey, you know, I'm ready to price things because... So much fun to, you know, do that. And so um, price helps us to determine value. And we're all about value in our our culture, Uh, particularly if we can get a good value. Uh, How many of you like to get a good deal? Raise your hand. Okay? Yeah. You like sales, right? You know, you get the big sale. And my wife will come into our house every once in a while when she's been by herself, and uh, she will come and she'll say, look what I got. I saved you money. 
And I'll say, well, were you shopping for that item before you left the house? No, but I'm saving you money, Chris. And immediately, every guy in this gym today knows what I'm thinking. But you weren't going to buy that at all. So you spent money. Now you're telling me that you saved me money. Now, I don't say these things out loud because I value my marriage too much, you know. But I think about these things, okay? I think about them. Well, value is something that we talk about a lot in our culture when it comes to how we can get a good deal. Uh, Several years ago, uh, BK, before kids, My wife, Jennifer, and I went with uh, two of our friends, John and Jana, and I was teaching in Ohio. And the drive was long enough to where uh, we need to stop and spend the night at a hotel. And so we're driving, and we finally find an exit, and I pull off. And when I pull off, I notice on my right-hand side is Comfort Inn, because it's comfortable to be at Comfort Inn, right? And then on the left-hand side was Super 8. And when I looked at Super 8, it's super. And it had a super price on that particular day because the price was $30 less than the Comfort Inn. And so I thought to myself, well, that's got to be the place, you know. So we pull in, and I walked in to the uh, hotel uh, clerk at the front desk, and I said, I just wanted to know, why is this particular uh, you know, Super 8, why, why is it $30 cheaper than the Comfort Inn. And they said, well, there's a train that goes behind our uh, Super 8, but it only travels during the day. And I was young and dumb, and I was saving 30 bucks. So I was like, well, that sounds good to me. You know, it sounds rational. And I'm like, this is where we're staying. So we get into the Super 8. And uh, it looks wonderful. It's clean. It's nice. The beds are great. They've got cable TV. I mean, the whole thing, you know, is just wonderful. And so we lay down to go to bed, and, man, we just fall asleep. And about 3 in the morning, we hear this. A train starts coming, and the lights start coming on. And, you know, it feels like the entire building is being shook and you know, all of a sudden, it's, it feels like it's right there. And Jennifer elbows me in the bed, and she goes, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> all of this for a $30 savings? You cheap? I can't say the other things. She said, but anyways, you know, on and on and on. Now, I would love to say that that was the only train that we heard that night. But it wasn't. And the Super 8 wasn't so super, but the Comfort Inn, I guarantee, would have been much more comfortable. Now, it's funny uh, for us to find good deals and we talk about that, and good deals are important in our culture. But sometimes we take the price gun approach to our relationships. You meet somebody and you think to yourself, wow, they're going to help me advance in my career. And you give them a price. 
And then you go and you find somebody else, though, and their teeth are crooked and their breath is bad and they're mean and kind of nasty and they're not going to help you with your career at all. And so you give them another price. And you go to this guy and you're like, man, he's good looking. I mean, like, he's really, really handsome. And so you give him a price. And then you go to this other guy and you're like, he's a dog, you know. And uh, he must not be worth much at all. And you just give a price. And pretty soon we're just pricing the value of people around us all the time. The only problem is that eventually if you do that to other people, eventually you start pricing yourself as well. And the danger is, when we get to that point, it's a very slippery slope. Inevitably, you start saying to yourself, if I was just smarter, I would be worth more. If I was just better looking, I'd be worth more. If I had more money or fame or talent, if my kids were doing better, if my family, family situation was better, if my marriage was better, I would be worth more. And all of us know, folks, what it's like to walk around feeling this sense of being unworthy and wrestling with the feeling that we're not loved. And it's a slippery slope in our lives. Now, our culture essentially says this. The cultural equation is this. Value equals love. That's the first fill-in for your uh, insert if you want to do that. But value, that's what our culture says. It says value equals love. In other words, the way that you're loved, folks, is dependent on your value. It's based upon your life. If you're smart enough, if you're good enough, if you're together enough, if you're talented enough, and if you have all those things lined up, then your value will mean that you're loved. So our culture says value equals love. But the Bible comes along and God gets uh, a part of this and the whole thing just changes. God turns it upside down. And what God basically does is that he flips it and he reverses it and he says uh, this. He says the biblical equation is not value equal love, but the biblical equation is love equals value. That God's perfect love offered to us is what fills our life with ultimate value. His love, his, his love determines our identity. It is a gift to us. It's absolute. Now, this afternoon, many of us will watch NFL football. And when we do, in end zones all over the place, people will be holding up great big signs that will have maybe the most popular scripture verse uh, in the Bible, John 3:16. And this is what it says. Let's read this out loud uh, together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he what? What's it say? He gave. He gave his only son. So that you could live a life of love with him, not just now, but for all of eternity. And when we accept our second chance from God through faith in Christ, we finally get to pull out the pricing gun and say, this doesn't determine 
my value anymore. Because we have been given the highest price tag that you could ever receive. But if we get that equation backwards, and sometimes we do, we find our identity and all these other things. If we get it confused, then we get back on the treadmill again, thinking that if we just do it long enough, that we will be loved and valued. So for the rest of our time, what I want us to look at is this great big idea that I've been thinking about over this week. It'll come up on the side screens, and let's read this together. Here's the big idea. Let's read it out loud. We are not loved because we are valuable. We are valuable because we are loved. Now, the way we're going to uncover this is by looking at a particular book in the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, and the book is called Galatians. And we're going to look at this book for the next uh, five weeks. Now, Galatians was written by a guy by the name of Paul. Now, Paul... Uh, is a person who actually wrote close to half of the New Testament, and he's considered to be one of Jesus' closest followers. So Paul is the author of this book, and there is an audience, and the audience is this group of churches in Galatia. And Galatia was in present-day Turkey, and it was about 450 miles uh, uh, square miles in size, and about the size of New York City. And so in this area, there are all these different churches that Paul has gone and he started. And they are doing great. They're growing. They're impacting lives. People are being transformed. They're finding faith in Christ. Uh, Their community is uh, going well. They're understanding family. And everything in this community of Galatia is going well. But some other people come into the church in Galatia, and they ambush the unity. You know people like that? You'll see them at Thanksgiving, right? They're they're some of your family. They come into family situations, and they ambush unity, and they bring disunity. And the ambushers of this group were called Judaizers. Judaizers. Now, you might be saying, now what is a Judaizer? Well, a Judaizer was a person who basically said, following Jesus is good, but it's not enough. What you need to do, if you're going to really have your life in order with God, is that many of the 614 many laws that were in the Old Testament, you've got to follow those too. So rule after rule after rule after rule. Now, I'm not talking about moral principles like the Ten Commandments and some of those. Those are found in the New Testament as well. But what I'm talking about is that the Judaizers took these small little things and said everybody should do that. Now, one of these was circumcision. Now, some of you might say, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, if you're a 40-year-old man in ancient uh, history, in the ancient world, and you've never been circumcised before, and you're following Jesus, and you think this Jesus guy is really, really great, but then somebody comes into the church and says, hey, you have not been circumcised, and if you haven't been circumcised, you're really not following Jesus. You know what 40-year-old men would say not only then but today? Say, what? I didn't sign up for that. 
You know, I don't think so. And so you've got this tension going on in these churches and these Judaizers are coming to these people telling them that unless you're circumcised and you follow some of these other rule after rule after rule and regulation after regulation, that you're just not going to be good with God. But, but Paul shows up and he's like, hey, he's like, hey, wait a minute. That's not grace. That's legalism. We are saved, made right with God, made whole with God by grace and by His love. So in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he addresses the whole issue by saying this. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to Himself through the loving mercy of Christ. Here, Paul is saying, I can't believe that you are so quick to turn away and become legalists. The word turning away there is actually the, in the original language, it means desertion. Like someone who's in a military squadron and they're all ready to take the next, uh, you know, land. And all of a sudden someone's like, no, 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 no. And they desert, they go away, they run away. And what Paul is saying is that these people have deserted God. Now, these people still would say that they're followers of God, but the difference is, is that they just think that you should follow all these rules and regulations of the Old Testament. And until you do, you'll never be good enough to be with God. And Paul calls that turning away from God. And folks, that is the challenge for you and I to remember. That we are not loved because we're valuable. We're valuable because we are what? Love. Now, the first big principle that I want us to look at this morning is this. Remember, your value is from God. Remember, your value is from God. So, I'm going to throw up a picture here. And we have a picture here of uh, some grass, some water, some more grass. There's a little road there. And uh, how many of you, just be honest, you won't offend me because I didn't take this picture, but how many of you would say that you like that picture? Raise your hand, okay? Okay. Um, Again, you won't offend me. It's not a trick question. But how many of you would put this like on your screensaver for your your computer? How, How many would do that? Okay, just a couple. Okay. Now, how many of you would pay $100? For this, please raise your hand. Okay? Well, this is the most expensive photograph that has ever been sold in the history of the world. Andreas Gursky took this picture. So what I'd like you to do is turn to your neighbor beside you and you guess how much somebody paid for this. Okay? So go ahead. Okay, the value that is placed on this picture was sold for $4.3 million. And not a single person here even said they'd put it on their screensaver. Like, what are we dealing with here, you know? I wouldn't either. But here's the point, folks. I don't know why that picture sold for $4.3 million 
All I know is that it did in a Christie's auction. And in our lives, we may not know why God loves us and why He thinks we are so valuable, but the truth is, He does. And how do I know that? Because He was willing to pay much, much more than $4.3 million for your life. In fact, if you were the only person on planet Earth, He would have done anything to let you know that you were valuable. In fact, the Bible says this, For we have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God. What was the price? The price was Jesus Christ coming to earth and living and dying just for you. And I just want you to know that, that that's how much he loves you. Again, if you were the only person on planet earth, he wouldn't have said, oh, well, you're not quite worth me dying on the cross, or you're not. I need some more people to do that. No, no, no. It's an individual thing. He would have died just for you. And you might meet some people sometimes uh, in which you think, you know what, they're not very valuable. And you, you know, kind of give a, a price to them. I mean, they strike you weird. They strike you like a picture of green grass and water and a road in front of it. But God says, that person matters. That person matters to me. In fact, you have never locked on, you've never locked eyes on another human being that that person is not infinitely valuable to God. And it's amazing to think about that. Why are they valuable? Because God loves them and He gave them value and worth. You know, when we price people according to the value that we think they are, when we do this, we go down a slippery slope. And when we price ourselves in the same way, we go down that same slope. But just imagine if you could go through your entire life and you woke up every day and you realized that you were valuable, that you were loved, that it wasn't based on what someone else thought, but it was based upon the one who had created the entire universe. And there was nothing that you've done there's nothing that you can do to earn that. It's just because of a gift given to you. It doesn't really matter how much fame you have. It doesn't matter what your gifts are. It doesn't matter how pretty you think you are. C.S. Lewis put it this way. It matters what we think about God, but it matters infinitely more what God thinks about us. God has said that you are valuable. And that you are worth all the value that comes from Him. You know, some of you are going through a tough time right now. You walk through those doors probably today, and immediately you put a mask on and said, Hey, I'm at church, and so, hey, I better look a certain way, act a certain way. But if we had to go really deep, some of you are struggling, and you're just like barely hanging on. Maybe the finances feel really, really tight and you're coming to the end of the month and you're wondering, you know, are the ends going to meet? 
Maybe you're waiting on some medical report that you've been given and you don't know what it is and there's unknown, but you're not sure how it's going to play out. Or maybe you're going through a relationship crisis right now. Maybe you're worried about your kids or your grandkids. You aren't sure what's all going down with them. And the stress is weighing you down. And some of you right now are in a place where you wish that God would just show up. That He would put something in the sky to let you know that He's there. Now, I won't ask for a sign of hands, but how many of you have ever felt like that before? I mean, like all of us. Some of you are like, I'll put my hand up, I don't care. Because we all have, right? You're like, God, I'm down and out. But I went to church today. Heck, I even brought my Bible today. I mean, I'm there, God, but I need you to show up in my life. Help a brother out. Do something, because the reality is I'm holding on a thin thread. And we all know what that's like because we've all been there. I've certainly been there. And God has a way of showing up in our lives and reminding us that He's there and He loves us. But I just want you to think about this. Even if He didn't show up in a way that you could point to, even if He didn't show up in a way that you could expect, I don't need God to show up in my life in any other way than what He's already done in the person of Jesus. There is nothing I need for God to do for me to know that He loves me that can outshine what He already did 2,000 years ago for you and for me and for every single other human being who has ever walked planet Earth. I mean, you say, well, God, show up for me. Show me that you love me. And God's like, dude, I already did that. I mean, I didn't do it like in a small way. I did it in this huge, massive way when I sent my one and only Son just for you. There's nothing that God needs to do in my life from now until the day that I die to show me that He loves me because He's already done it. I'm here to serve Him, not to get something out of Him. I'm here to worship Him for what He's already done, not barter with Him for something in my future. Because remember, folks, your value ultimately is coming from God. Now here's the second principle. Keep the good news good. Keep the good news good. Any of you ever experienced this before, maybe in your job, maybe in your house? Somebody walks up to you and they're like, I've got some really good news. And you're like, okay, sounds good, I want to hear it. And then they start in, and then they put a couple of buts and ifs and oughtas and shouldas, and pretty soon some negative stuff in there, and you get to the end of it and you're like, that ain't so good. Like, that's actually bad. Well, here in the Bible, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says this, You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Here's some of the strongest language 
that this guy who wrote over half the New Testament has ever given. He says this, Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. It's kind of serious stuff, isn't it? I mean, it's serious stuff. Now, the word gospel is simply a word for that phrase, good news. And when you look at the phrase good news uh, on the second to last line here, what do you know that is different about the first letters in the word good and news than uh, almost every other word there? What do you notice different? It's capitalized. And what the translator is trying to get across is that this just isn't any good news. It's not like, hey, the Colts made the playoffs. I mean, that would be good news, right? People would be excited about it. But that's not capital G, good news. I mean, when we have lots of good news in our lives, it's true. But it doesn't equal up to a capitalizing of the gospel of the good news. Because what that's talking about is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. What he did for us satisfies the payment for our sin. You see, this is what happened, folks, when you turn to Christ. Is that... You take all of your sin, all of your junk, and a transfer takes place. You transfer it onto Jesus, and He willingly wants that. And so now you're freed up, and He says, what I'm going to give you is my righteousness that you can't even earn on your own, but I'm going to be like the defense attorney who says, I've got his back. I'll take care of him. I'll take care of her. And what Paul is saying, don't let anyone twist the message of Jesus and make it into something that it's not. Now that word twist uh, that's there uh, is a term that can be uh, actually translated in the original language to pollute or to dilute. Now some of you are sitting there and you're getting thirsty. You didn't have any water. Maybe you weren't here early enough to get your water from uh, the hospitality room. But, but you look at that and you go, man, that, some of you, in fact, right now, some of your throats are going, mmm, it's a little bit dry. That, that does look pretty good. I can, I can take that. A cool, refreshing beverage. But what if I were to tell you that this isn't just any old water, but this is water that comes from the underdeveloped country of Senegal, West Africa. How many of you would like to take a drink? Huh? Any takers? I didn't think so. Now, if you've ever traveled abroad, you've learned this phrase. Don't drink the... Don't drink the water. Because if you drink the water, it will mess you up. Because your body is not adjusted to the certain type of bacteria that's in water and other places. Your body hasn't created a defense mechanism uh, for that yet. And how do I know this? Because I traveled to Senegal, West Africa, and they told me, don't drink the water, but I was young and dumb and I thought just a little bit wouldn't be too bad. And so I, I took a drink the first day I was there, about that much. 
And after the first day, I knew it. All night long, on the hour, every hour. It was like Lionel Richie was singing to me. All night long, all night, all night, right? Now, some of you, if you're in your 20s, you're like, who's Lionel Richie? If you're in your 60s or 70s, you're like, who's Lionel Richie? But if you're somewhere in between, you're probably going, oh yeah, I know Lionel Richie. And all night long, I was going back and forth to the restroom with my poor roommate, Mark, And I mean, it felt like World War III was happening in my body. Stuff was popping and moving, and it was all coming out in Africa, you know? And folks, it wasn't pretty what was going on in Senegal. Because whatever you put in comes out, right? I mean, the very thing that you turn to that you think is going to quench your thirst and is going to really meet a need of your life, can backfire on you and can cause all kinds of difficulty and challenge in your life. And here's what Paul is saying. Don't let anyone twist the message of Christ. Don't let anyone pollute the what? Because it is of the goodness and grace of Jesus that brings salvation into our lives. And it is faith and trust in Him alone that provides that for us. Nothing else, nothing added, nothing diluted, nothing put in. This is just the pure message of the good news. So when someone comes along to you and they say, Hey man, I know you're following Jesus, but Jesus really isn't enough. You need to add these five other things. Guess what? Don't drink the water. When someone comes along and says, even if you believe in Jesus, you could never really be forgiven for some of the stuff that you've done in your life because I remember what you did and your mistakes, your sins, the junk in your life. Don't drink the water. When someone comes along and says, you are nothing, you're not valuable, you're worthless. Even though you try to love God God could never love someone as messed up as you. Guess what? Don't drink the water. When someone comes along and says, our church is the only church. We are the only ones that have the truth. You know what that is a sign to do? Run. Don't drink the water. And Paul says there is good news, and the good news is a simple message of Jesus, of what he came to accomplish for you and I. The Bible says this in Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Folks, that's the way you receive the good news. It's not about doing a whole bunch of good works and going through 20 hoops and 20 rules. It's about simply turning to Christ with your sin, and then He gives you His righteousness. Again, folks, this is the transfer that takes place. When I gave my life to Christ, what happened was He took all the mess of Chris Bunch, and He said, I'll take your mess, and what I'm going to give to you is the miracle of my salvation, of my wholeness, of my peace, of my goodness in your life. And that's, folks, a second chance. 
Folks, second chances are available to everyone because of what Jesus did. Don't drink the water of anything else other than what is really the good news. That brings us to the final principle, and it's this. To live in your second chance. You live in your second chance. In Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's just that simple. So if you're a follower of Christ or you're just not a follower of Christ and you're here because someone invited you and you're trying to figure out what is it that Christians, those crazy Christians, really believe, Paul just laid it out when he said this. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God. So I I live by trusting in Jesus who loved me. And what did he do? And he gave himself for me. It's that simple. And I'm going to follow him in my life. And Paul says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. What does that mean? You see, what Paul realized is that sometimes when you first come to God, when you first start following Christ, you're excited. You understand his grace in your life. And you're so excited about it. And you're filled with his grace. And you, and you love that about this free gift. And you begin your spiritual journey like that. But if you're not careful, over time you can twist it and distort it and pretty soon God's grace becomes meaningless because you think you're doing it in your own human effort. I mean, just look at me. I mean, I look good, don't I? I'm the pastor of the job. I've been a pastor here. Church has grown. Man, you know, look at me. And some of you might be like, yeah, I go to church. I'm a good soccer mom, you know. Um, In fact, I go to church and my family doesn't even fight on the way. Look at me. We drive separately, but, you know, nonetheless, we we don't fight. You got that. The first celebration didn't get that. And the, the reality is, though, folks, it would be cool if that were the truth, but it's just not that way. You don't stand up and say, hey, I got my life together. Because what often happens is that we forget what God did in our life a year ago or two years ago or three years ago or five years ago or seven years ago. And you forget that God rescued you. Some of you may have even took you know, little breaks from him, but he's not stopped searching out for you. Several years ago, there was a woman in our church who, um, her life was pretty messy, family was messy, they had a rebellious child, and uh, marriage was kind of shaky, and a lot of financial trouble was going on. But eventually, she just kept coming each Sunday, and eventually, uh, she started seeing God work in her life, and she surrendered more. And eventually, she got baptized, and uh, many of the people in her own family got baptized, and she started serving in all kinds of ways, and she's growing closer to God. And God gave her a second chance. She wanted other people to know it, and she shared this with others. It was awesome to see. But I'll never forget one particular Sunday, we were actually seated this way, and over to my left on this side, 
there was a, a young woman that had come in and you could just see from her face that she had been beaten down in life. She had a couple of kids and uh, they were there. And during the celebration, they actually started kind of running around a little bit right in that area. And I looked over a little bit to the other side and I noticed that this woman whose life had been transformed gave her the look. Now you women know, don't you? So like some of this area, I'm not saying who, but some people, they were like, they already knew. They, they were like, mm-hmm. And you women can give looks to each other. Sometimes that kills people. And I mean, she gave the look. Luckily, this, this young woman didn't see that, but I was like, wow. And I just kept on. The teaching was done. And after the teaching, uh, this transformed woman came up to me and she said, well, that lady really met, made a mess of your teaching. And I was like, oh, yeah. And she's like, yeah, those kids were running around there out of control. I even heard she used to strip at Joker's wife. And I was just listening to it. And then I said, I think she was thinking I was going to have some kind of reaction. And this is what I said. So what? And her mouth like dropped. She's like, I said, I hope every single stripper at Joker's Wild and in Anderson and wherever, I want them all to come to the jar. And she kind of looked at me a little bit more, and I said, we all got mess. Everybody's life gets messy. And you can, you can fake it, folks. And you can mask it, but we're all messy. And finally, you know, this transformed woman's like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Because I was like, remember you? Folks, it's so easy for us to forget the grace of God in our lives after we've done it for a while. And we're tempted to start looking back at everyone else and saying, hey, you know what? You should be a little bit more like me. I can't believe it's taken you so long to like get your life together. Why don't you be more like me? And folks, don't ever forget where you were at before Christ. Don't treat the grace of God in a meaningless way because it's a big deal. That's why we here at the jar, we try to fight and we fought it hard since I've been the pastor here. That we are going to protect the culture that is this place called the jar. In fact, I think it's one of the most beautiful things of our church. That you can be broken, you can be hurting, you can be overwhelmed, you can be a stripper. And the reality is, folks, we could care less. But what really matters, folks, is the heart of God grabbing onto your heart and beginning to change your heart for the good news of Jesus Christ from the inside out. That's what we're all about. That's what we focus on. We major on the majors, not on the minors. And you allow people to grow at their own pace. You see, folks, what happens sometimes is you think the accelerator should be further and God's saying, you know what, the pace of their life actually is exactly where I want it to be. Friends, the Bible is a book of second chances. Our God is a God of second chances. Maybe for some of you, you're a believer today, and maybe you've been trying to do it again and again on your own. 
You've been trying to keep it going. And so you're juggling all these balls and you're spinning all of the plates to keep everything in order in your own strength, your own ability to somehow please God and please your family. And you're trying to do good at work and you're trying to go through all the hoops and you're trying to read your Bible and you want to pray in the morning and you're walking around uh, during your day though and you get to the end of your day and you go, it's not enough. I don't pray enough. I don't serve enough. I don't go to church enough. I'm not in my small group enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not godly enough. I don't have it all together enough. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. How many know exactly what I'm talking about? Yeah, it just looks like it's not enough. We, and, and I just want to say, don't start treating the grace of God meaningless. Of course it's not enough. That's why Jesus came into the world. That's why He lived, and that's why He died. Let me read this last verse of our text today in Galatians. He says this, For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Of course it's not enough. And you know what? It's never going to be enough. So why are you trying to make it enough? Folks, it was Enough when you first accepted the second chance that God gave you. For some of you, that happened when you were a child. For some of you, that happened when you were an adult. For me, it happened when I was 12 years old. I had acne on my face. I was one of the biggest liars in seventh grade. I was broken and hurting. And at 12, I knew I didn't want to keep going down this road. And I said, God, give me a second chance. He said, absolutely. And since then, guess what? He's given me third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and hundredth chances and thousandth chances and millionth chances. Because the same grace that I got when I was age 12, I have needed every single day of my life. Folks, you and I are not good enough. But I am so thankful that Jesus is good enough to give me a second chance and some of you could have that today. You know, I was thinking about it this week that 30 years ago, on October 1st, Acne Boy Bunch turned to Christ. I got on my knees and I asked Him to help me. And it was the best day of my life. You know, I didn't really realize it at the time. But everything good in my life, folks, goes back to that day when God gave me a second chance. Now, I've had some really good days since then. The day both of my girls were born. The day I married, like, way above my pay grade. You know what I mean? Like, some people get catches, but I got the monster catch. You know, I've had some good days, you know what I'm saying? But no day compares, no day compares to when I got on my knees and asked Christ for His forgiveness and a second chance. Friends, I want to give some of you the opportunity today to take a second chance. We're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to make you do anything, but I'm going to ask you to think about a prayer 
that I'm going to lead. And then I'm going to be standing up here with a Bible just to congratulate you, to give that to you, to give you a next step of how you can grow closer to God. And the thing is, and I've been praying about it, is that for some of you here today, you're going to look back on this day, five years from now, ten years from now, 20 years from now, and say that was the best day of my life. And folks, if God has been moving in your heart today, I would strongly encourage you not to leave this place without saying that prayer and making that commitment. Just surrender to Him. Take the real good news. Because today you can be forgiven, you can be restored. You can have a right relationship with God. You can join a family of people who love you. And so the way we're going to close it today is I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up. And if you'd like prayer for anything, they'd love to pray for you. But what I'd ask you to do is just to... uh, close your eyes to bow your head just to have a moment. No one's looking but it's just between you and God. And if you would like to be a Christian today maybe you've done the whole church thing but honestly you've never really said Jesus I want you to be the center. You can do that by just praying this prayer kind of silently after me. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. And for everyone else who's here today, maybe you've known God, you've followed Him, but you've just ignored Him lately. But today is like return day for you receive another second chance and maybe you would just pray silently after me God today I return to you thank you for my second chance thank you for never giving up on me I am ready to get back in the game I want to serve you said the prayer today to accept Christ, I'll be up here. I invite you to come. I got a free Bible for you. And uh, if you would, if you're new, please stop by Guest Connections and get a free gift. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks.